I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We thank God for this morning for bringing us together to um, fellowship in the singing of songs to Him and the hearing of His Word. It is good to see Auntie Amber um, after a while, and good to see um, Graham. And we thank God that he has kept you safe um, in your trip. And uh, we have uh, t- two young men I see uh, there. Um, I hope one of them is Jimmy. Is that the case? So that we have Jimmy. Jimmy is from Living Hope. And uh, Jimmy has come with, uh, what's your name, brother? CK. And uh, has come with CK. So welcome, brothers. Um, do feel at home. Uh, get to know them even after um, our worship service. We have been going through uh, the Psalms, Psalms of Lament, um, sort of a a random um, series, so to say, Um, and uh, it's been several weeks now um, going through this Psalms of Lament. Today we're looking at Psalm 31, and we're going to look at verse 1 up until verse 24 in the Psalm, Psalm 31 verse 1 up until verse 24 um, and we're looking at it under the subject of rock of ages rock of ages psalm 31 let us commit this time to the lord as we draw near to him our dear heavenly father our lord and god we rejoice in your forgiveness we rejoice that you are a god who is truly mindful of us so mindful O god that you have given us not only your son to be saved but your word to be sanctified we pray and commit this time to you not forgive us for all that dishonors you Draw us to yourself, wash us, purify us, cleanse us, that we may walk in the way that honors you. As we hear your word, we pray that you work in our hearts. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, we pray all this. Amen. Amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die... Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. This is an old prayer that is relatively familiar. A lot of people know it, both Christians and non-Christians. It's one of the ways I believe we learn to pray and entrust our lives to God. It helps us recognize that not only are we dependent on God, for our daily sustenance, but also for the rest, uh, for, for, for rest, for our souls. And ultimately, we, we recognize and acknowledge him as the one who gives us true rest in his kingdom. This prayer alludes to a prayer in our text this morning. It alludes to Psalm 31 verse 5, which says, Into your hands 
I commit my spirit. And it can teach us and our children about dying. You see, sleep uh, prefigures uh, death. Or it's a kind of rehearsal of, of dying. So when we pray for our children at bedtime, we, we teach them how to approach sleep. But we can also teach them how to approach death. For young children, this prayer about lying down to sleep can be a sweet comfort before they go to bed. But as they get older, it can be a little bit troubling. If I die before I wake, the devotional writer Ben Pettison says his mother taught him to pray this prayer before bedtime. And it helped him to sleep when he was really young. But when he got a little bit older, it kept him awake at night. He didn't want to die before he woke up. And so he would stay up anxiously, thinking about death before he eventually would not off to sleep. Over time, this taught Patterson to this taught Patterson a lesson about death. You see, everyone, everybody will die one day if the Lord tarries. But as we approach death, we, we, can, we can worry about it or we can trust the Lord. We can worry about it or we can trust the Lord. And if we are in Christ, the Lord will take our souls when we die. We can commit our spirits into his hands. And that's a great comfort, isn't it? As Christians, we are called to live well. We are called to live our lives worthy of the gospel. But we are also called, brothers and sisters, to die well. When people see Christians face death, they should say they lived well and they died well. Psalm 31 teaches us something about both living and dying well. Let us look at it. Psalm 31, verse 1, up until verse 24. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read God's word. Psalm 31, to the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. And strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net uh, they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. In your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfastness, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. 
for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all the adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. And an, 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 an object of dread to my acquaintances, those who see me in the street flee from me. I've forgotten. I've been forgotten like the one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. I hear, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies, from my persecutors. Make your face shine to your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call you. I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You restore them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you have heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, Lord, when I cry to you for help, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays those who act in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. This psalm is divided into two parts. The a prayer of deliverance in verses 1 to verse 18 and a prayer for deliverance um, in a praise for deliverance in verse 19 to 24. So a prayer and a praise for deliverance. The, the, the prayer section is, is structured like a sandwich. right? There's a petition at the top and at the bottom in verses 1 to 8, we see a petition. In verses 14 to 18, we see a petition. And a protest is in the middle in verses 9 to 13. The, the, the protest is a complaint as the psalmist faces death. The, the petitions draw out the main theme of the passage. The main theme being confidence and trust in God as one faces death. To divide our time this morning, I want us to consider the protest portion first, the, the, the petition portion second, and the praise portion third. As we approach the psalm, I, I, want, I want to ask you a simple question. Why did Jesus pray Psalm 31 verse 5 right before he died on the cross? Well, it's important to note here that Jesus had the whole psalm in mind when he prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was not just this section. He had all the psalm in mind. And so, and so the whole psalm applied to his situation. The protest part, the petition part, and the praise part. 
Let us look at them in detail, the protest part. We start with the protest part of the psalm. And it shall be obvious, it should be obvious here, that the protest is connected to Christ's situation on the cross. Let us connect it. Let me show you. First, in verse 9, David says, My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. We, We don't know why David was wasted with grief, but we know why Jesus was, right? He was wasted from grief in the garden of Gethsemane because he was facing the cross. When you look at Mark chapter 14, 34, David says again in verse 10a, my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. The same was true of Jesus. He was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. David again says in in, uh, verse 10b, My strength fails me because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Jesus' strength was completely sapped as he hung on the cross fighting for air. But it wasn't because of his sin and iniquity that he hung on the cross. It was because of our sin that he was held there. David continues to say in verse 11, Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Jesus was mocked. He was derided as he hung on the cross. David says in verse 12, I have become forgotten like the one who is dead. All of Jesus' disciples fled from him when he was arrested. David says in verse 13, I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Remember the religious leaders? They plotted to take Jesus' life. They came together, conspired, and, 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 and made uh, plans to, 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 to destroy and take his life. So it seems clear to me, that Jesus had all of Psalm 31 in mind. Even the protest portion, when he called out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But I think the main reason Jesus prayed Psalm 31 was to confess his confidence in the Father. When we see Christ on the cross, totally and wholly confident in the Father. When, when Jesus say he entrusts his life into God's hand, he's saying that he trusts God. He trusts that as he faces death, that God will deliver him. And if Jesus trusted that God will deliver him when he faced suffering and death, then those of us who are in Christ can also trust that God will deliver us when we face suffering and death. But why can we trust? Why can we trust the Lord when we face suffering and death? And how can we show our trust in the Lord when we face suffering and death? We'll find the answers to these questions in the petition of the psalm and the praise of the psalm, respectively. Let us look second at the petition of the psalm. Why can we trust the Lord when we face suffering and death? The two petition sections give us two answers to these questions. They, they, they can be articulated in the words of um, the, the Chris Tomlin song, Age to age he stands, 
and time is in his hands age to age he stands and time is in his hands first age to age he stands right or or more precisely we can trust god because he is the rock of ages this is drawn out of verses 1 to verse 8 david takes refuge in the lord verse 1 and the lord is a refuge is a rock of refuge for him and a strong fortress verse 2 the, the, the word rock here is not referring to a foundation like it does in the New Testament. Instead, it refers to a cleft in a crack or, or a cliff, right? Think of a, of a high cliff on a mountain range and, and picture a, a cleft in that high cliff. A high cliff is inaccessible and, and the crack in that rock gives a place to hide, Right? hiding from the wild animals, hiding uh, from the storms. It, it gives you a safe place. That's what David has in mind when he says, the Lord is a rock of refuge. David actually hid himself, remember, in a, in a, in a high ridge like, like this when he was running from Saul. When Saul wanted to take David's life, he, he was running and he hid himself in a high ridge. So he has this in mind. At the end of the service, we are going to sing Rock of Ages. The song was written by Augustus Top Lady. Uh, You might wonder, what kind of surname is that Top Lady? (laughs) He's the one who wrote the hymn. One day when, when, when Top Lady was taking a walk, a severe thunderstorm blew up. And he found an opening in an immense granite rock. He ran into it and watched the storm from his shelter. He was watching the storm. And as he sat there watching the storm, thoughts of Christ took his mind. And he began to form the words of the great hymn of faith, Rock of Ages. That's the image we need in our minds, isn't it? God is a rock of refuge. That's why David can say in verse 6, I trust in the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses sang to the Lord as his rock. In verse 4, he said that God was faithful to his people. When When they were in the desert, he encycled them. He cared for them. Verse 10. Like an eagle, he covered them like um, with his wing, in verse 11. Like a shepherd, he guarded them and provided for them, verse 12 and 14. He placed them in high places, verse 13. David seems to be drawing on this imagery of Deuteronomy chapter 32. In the same way that God was a rock of refuge to Israel, he expects God to be a rock of refuge for him. God is the rock of refuge, isn't he? That's the truth. God is faithful throughout history to protect and to provide for his people. David put his trust in God's steadfast love, as verse 7 says, and, and that is he put his trust in God's loyal love. I love reading through the Psalms. I've I've been enjoying reading through the Psalms and and I see that word steadfast love coming over and over again. It's a loaded 
term. It's a term that whenever they sang the Israelites, they would be reminded of the loyalty of God. How many times have Israel been unfaithful? How many times have Israel been unloyal to God? How many times have they sinned and rebelled against God? But how many times has God proven himself faithful? He's a rock of refuge. We trust in his loyal love. God makes a covenant with his people. And he will be loyal to keep that covenant. On that, you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. There's a lovely song that we used to sing at church when I grew up. It was amazing to see the elderly sing with such enthusiasm and passion. I must confess that I always thought that as a child, these people are weird. Uh, These people are really weird. But as I grew up, I'm increasingly coming to appreciate the truth that is found in this song. It's a simple song. It says, there's one thing I know everywhere I go. Jesus Christ has never failed me at all. This morning, uh, as I got into the car and um, started my car, 702 came um, from the speakers. And uh, I don't know who was presenting, and um, she was interviewing um, someone there. And she said, let me be like Oprah. Let me take this from Oprah. What is it that you are assured of? (laughs) What is it that you're completely assured about? Well, the guy rambled around and didn't say much um, that needs repeating. But if I was asked that question, I would go back to the song. There's one thing I know. Everywhere I go, Jesus has never failed me at all. You can take that to the bank. Save that for a podcast. <laughs> That's this is what, G, what David is saying in, in the psalm, right? Why can he trust God as he suffered and faces death? God has always been faithful. He will be faithful yet again. Let me, um, I hope I'm not digressing a lot. I I, I do this a lot of times these days. But when you read the Psalms, or when you read the history of Israel and the faithfulness of God, there we have a documented history that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt the faithfulness of God. And in order to continue on confidently in the future, we look back and we look at God's dealings with his people in the Old Testament. How even though they were unfaithful, he remained faithful. 
He did not deny himself. We can be confident. We can move on and take another step knowing that God will remain faithful yet again. Amen. God has always been faithful. He's been a rock. He's a rock. He will be a rock. He's the rock of ages. That's why we can say, into your hand I commit my spirit. Right? Well, the first reason we can trust God when we suffer and face death is that aged to age he stands. Second reason we can trust God is that time is in his hands. Time is in his hands. Or more precisely, we can trust God because he is sovereign. This is found in verses 14 to verse 18. Look at verse 14 and 15. He says, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. There are times when many things that happen in this life make no sense to us. I don't think I'm the only one who experienced that. There are times when we experience things and they make absolutely no sense to us. We live with terror on every side, verse 13. Tim Keller says, Life seems precarious and even capricious. That word capricious means unpredictable. Life is precarious and it is unpredictable. He says, but David knows world history and our personal histories are not ultimately operating on chance. (laughs) What a beautiful thing to, to learn, right? That nothing happens by chance. God is not a headless a, he's not a headless chicken running around not knowing what to do. Time is in his hands. Even our times are in his hands. Tim Keller goes on to say the Bible's teaching on this is balanced. Many events are evil and grievous, yet God overrules them and works them, together, works them all together in the long run for our good. So in the end of our lives, so in the end, our lives cannot be derailed permanently. In other words, God is in control. He is sovereign. Time is in his hands. That's why we can trust God in suffering as we face death. Now, there's a twist for those of us who live on the side of the cross of Christ. David trusted the Lord for deliverance from death, and he was delivered from death, at least for for a time, right? Jesus trusted the Father for deliverance, but he was not delivered from death. But when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, He didn't think that God would deliver him from the cross. He went to the cross with the purpose of dying for our sins. He knew full well that he would die. God was sovereign even in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But Jesus also knew that he would be raised from the dead. 
So when, when he entrusts his life into the Father's hands, he trusts, his trust is not in deliverance from death. His trust is in deliverance through death. He's trusting in God's promises of resurrection. This is very instructive for us. We can pray for deliverance from sickness and death. We can pray for deliverance from persecution. And if God wills, he certainly is able to save us. But even if he doesn't deliver us from sickness, persecution, and death, we can still trust him. We can still trust him. Those of us who are in Christ will suffer like Christ did. We may suffer unto death, but those of us who are in Christ will also be raised like Christ. Our trust in God is our rock. Our trust in the one who is sovereign over all our days is ultimately a trust in the resurrection. Why can we trust God in the face of suffering and death? It's only because of the death and resurrection of Christ. If you have not placed your faith in Christ and your trust in Christ, I urge you to do so today. You can't save yourself from suffering and death. You can only hope for salvation in Christ, in his death on the cross for your sins, and his resurrection from the dead, which gives us eternal life and hope. A writer that I used to love reading, Henry, Henry Nguyen, I think he's a German. He once wrote about some friends of his who were trapeze artists. This is what he says. He says they were with the circus. We, know, we all know the circus, right? We all know the circus. Okay? Yeah, some of us have been to the circus, I, I hope. Um, if you have not been to the circus, you're not missing much. You can watch it on television. Um, the, he says uh, they were with the circus and their lives had an effect on Nguyen. They were called the Flying Rodellas. They told Nguyen that there's a very special relationship between the flyer and the catcher on the trapeze. The flyer is the one that lets go. The catcher is the one that catches. As you might imagine, this relationship is important, especially to the flyer, right? When the flyer is swinging high above and the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. He acts out into the air and his job is to remain as still as possible and to wait for the strong hands of the catcher to plug him from the air. Uh, this trapeze artist told Nguyen that the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must just let himself go and then the catcher must catch him. He must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. To trust God, you have to let go of trying to save yourself. Then you have to trust that God will catch you. Some trapeze artists have failed to catch the flyer. But thank God that God doesn't fail. He never fails. 
You can trust God in the face of suffering and death. You can trust God in the face of final judgment. But the only reason why, why, why this is the reason, why, why, why this is the case, is because Christ's death and suffer and resurrection are enough. They are enough. It is because of His death. It is because of His resurrection. Right? Okay. We saw the protest. We saw the petition. Lastly, we see the praise. We've seen why we can trust God in the face of suffering and death. Now, let's consider how we can show that we trust God when we face suffering and death. The, the answer to this question is found in the praise portion of the psalm, in verses 19 to verse 24, and it comes in two parts. First, we show our trust in God when we rejoice in God's sure salvation. Even though David hasn't yet experienced God's deliverance, he is convinced that God will deliver him from suffering and death. God is good to those who trust him, to, to those who take refuge in him. Verse 19, David is convinced that, that God will be a cover for him and he will hide him from the plot of man. Verse 20, verse 28, he is convinced that God keeps his people in his shelter. Verse 20b, and as a result of this, David praises God. He rejoices in God's deliverance. Look at verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. This is very similar to what he said in verses 7 to verse 8. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have set my feet in a broad place. You see, the first way we show our trust for God is to rejoice in his sure salvation. Even if we have not yet experienced the Lord's deliverance, it is as good as complete. And therefore, even while we are still suffering and facing death, we can have joy. The second way we show our trust in God is through faithfulness and perseverance. After David has blessed the Lord because of his confidence in his deliverance, he turns to the congregation and gives them two commands that teach us the second way to trust the Lord when we face suffering and death. Look at verses 23 and verse 24. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. If we trust in God's steadfast love for us, we'll be steadfast in love for him. If we trust that God is faithful, we will be faithful to God. That is, we'll live godly lives even as we face godless people, suffering, and death. And not only that, those who trust that God preserves the faithful will persevere in faithfulness in the face of suffering and death. They'll be strong and courageous to the end. God is trustworthy. That's why we can trust Him. And God is faithful. And on that foundation, we are called to be faithful to Him. All the way to the end. We, we, we show our trust in God through faithfulness and perseverance. That's the way First Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 19 uses Psalm 31. Just look at that passage for a minute. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 19. This is what Peter says to the believers. He says, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because, of, because the spirit of glory and, and, and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, listen to this. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Listen to this. Suffer according to God's will. In other words, brothers and sisters, I must say that the Christian life is not a bed of roses. You don't become a Christian and think that everything is going to go well. In this journey of, 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 of walking with Christ, in this journey of knowing Christ, loving Christ, worshipping Christ, we are going to experience suffering and persecution. One greater than the other. But we are going to experience persecution. Isn't that what Second Timothy says? When, when Paul says to Timothy, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will do what? Will suffer persecution. He says those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter knows Christians will suffer. Maybe, maybe even unto death. He calls Christians to rejoice in their suffering because Christ suffered and because they will one day enter glory. They will be ultimately delivered. That's the same thing David is doing here. And then Peter calls them to persevere in godly living as they are suffering while they wait for Christ's return. When we suffer for our faith, there's a great temptation to think, I've been waiting for God's deliverance long enough. I'm, I'm going to give up. I'm going to reach out for whatever satisfaction I can get in this life and worry about the consequences later. That's a Psalm 73, the first half of Psalm 73 attitude, right? We think, why have I been living a holy life? Why have, have I been living a godly life? What's the use? What's the use if I'm suffering? But if you don't persevere in the faith, in the face of suffering, you may prove that you don't believe the gospel. For for those who believe the gospel will obey the gospel all the way to glory. Those who don't obey the gospel firm to the end will face eternal judgment. David says that we are to commit our lives into God's hands. Peter says the same thing here. And the way we show our trust in God is through persevering in good works. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Before I close, I want to tell you one last story about the man who wrote Rock of Ages. Augustus' top lady was only 38 years old when he died. As he was suffering on his deathbed, he said this, I enjoy heaven already in my soul. 
my prayers are all converted into praises. That sounds a lot like David, doesn't it? Although he lived a short life, his end was full of joy and trust. Not only was he faithful, not only did he live well, he also persevered to the end. He also died well. And why was he also able to die well? Because he had placed his trust in the rock of ages. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, indeed you are the rock of refuge. May we be like David, who says, I trust in the Lord. May we remember how Christ truly fulfilled the spirit of the psalm. How indeed we see clearly in the suffering of Christ, not because of his sin, not because of anything that was done by him, but all because of our sins. May we truly trust you, honor you, love you, walk with you, obey you, glorify you. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, may we live in the reality that Christ has purchased a new life for us. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. <laughs>